What is going on, Ottawa Senators fans? Welcome to another edition, another live stream edition, I should say, of the Everyday Sends podcast. I'm Jack Richardson, joined as always by Brennan Parks. Brennan, lot of stuff to get into. Six preseason games in the bank. The trip to Nova Scotia is over. We had some great performances from the team, some cuts to talk about, waiver wire. How you doing on this Tuesday, October 3rd? We are live at noon. I'm doing well. Yeah, I think that the best thing here is that Ottawa is 5-1 and one in the preseason among the best records in the league. Only had that one close loss, and they're playing, like, very well. I mean, they just beat Pittsburgh Penguin, the Pittsburgh Penguins, Sidney Crosby. Like, not just that, but the Penguins had a full lineup, basically. Like, they had, aside from, like, Radom Zahorna on their second line, they had almost all of their NHL regulars, and yet Ottawa actually came through and, and dominated them 3 nothing. Jonas Corposalo, a 40-save shutout in the preseason. That's unheard of. I mean, come on. Like, we're talking about a 40-save shutout. Even though Ottawa gave up 40 shots, I thought they actually played quite well. They didn't really give up a ton of high-danger stuff. Uh, helped Corposalo at the defense look good. Uh, and, and more importantly, they shut down Sidney Crosby, right? Like, they shut down everything the penguins were doing so uh awesome to see and and i see we're getting some some super chats in the live chat already so that's awesome thanks guys we appreciate it uh it goes a long way for us and helping us run this but yeah we've got a lot to break down today because like th th a lot's happened i mean last night it was filled with rage on twitter it's filled with disappointment it's filled with confusion uh and and this is what the preseason is right we're gonna have decisions that the organization makes that we don't agree with um but you know what thinking about it more i'm, I'm a little more calm than i was last night so um let's get into it and, and let's just break it all down yeah so we thank eric again you mentioned the super chat so eric we're gonna throw that up there for you and luckily for you especially we talked right before we went live what are we going to lead with we basically had three you know uh topics to talk about we got goaltending shane pinto and obviously the waiver wire we are going to talk about the waiver wire right away so the question is from eric can you guys explain the waiver process and what it means for our cap space does jbd salary get taken off the books if he clears so if he clears it will go to an ahl one and i know it's a better example is maybe Sokolov uh, when his deal went announced a big sticking point was the AHL salary. So when players get sent down, typically um, when they're on a two way, it's an AHL salary. So it's a different salary. My understanding is that JBD would still be making 800 K in the AHL. I could be wrong on that because he signed a one way. If it, I, I, I might be wrong. Cause I'm that that's how I, I, I interpreted it that he signed a two year, 800 K per year um, extension with the Sens actually in July. So I would imagine that it's still 800 K no matter where he is. Cap friendly would have those details, but I think Brennan's doing some searching right now and he's going to figure that out. But it, it, from what I understand, it would still be 800 K regardless if he, if he uh, goes down to Belleville, that's how I see it, but I could be wrong. Yeah, so Bernard Docker, like you can look on cap friendly quickly. So the important thing, Ottawa does save cap space, like real dollars on a one-way deal. They're making the same in the AHL. So Bernard Docker's making, it says 785K in, in the AHL and then 805 in the NHL. Well, his base salary, sorry, his base salary is 785 of real dollars. So that's what he's going to be making regardless. But the cap hit comes off the books if they go down. So regardless if he's claimed and Sokolov's claimed, it's still coming off the cap hit. So by sending those two down, Ottawa gained 1.58 million in cap space. So they're currently sitting at 1.7 million with cap space. Um, but they're one player short of the 20 player minimum for, for a roster. So theoretically, they could sign Shane Pinto for 1.7 million and then have a 20 player roster and ice that. That's what Parker Kelly and Zach McEwen on the roster. Um, but again, if you factor in Yurish McCall and Roby Jarventi or, or a couple of these other guys, they're making more than McEwen and, and uh, Kelly. So that then brings them down a couple hundred thousand more and suddenly you're still tight. Like, I don't see a scenario in which this is going to be the workaround to not trade like Matthew Joseph or, or somebody else. I think they're still going to have to do that. But 
It's a good question, right? Uh, and I know the cap thing is very confusing for people, and myself included. Like last night, I, I saw people saying Ottawa was now at 1.7 million, and I was like, "What? Like, how does that make any sense?" So, uh, I actually found Puckpedia.com too, which is a really helpful resource. They have a, a kind of nice breakdown of it, so you can check that out. But yeah, the the cap it does come off the books regardless of whether they're claimed it does not add anything if they get claimed compared to going to belleville they just have to go through either way um but they will still get paid bernard docker will still get paid his real money so that's nice for him i guess but yes the cap it comes off the books ottawa's in a better spot for it i just i'd be hesitant to say it's a workaround trading a player like i still think it's going to come to that because pinto like we we're going to talk about it he got offered a one million dollar contract recently and was, and was kind of taken back and disappointed by that i don't think 1.7 is going to get it done uh and, and again i don't think ottawa wants to run with a, a minimum 20 player roster either i think they want to have a scratch or two especially considering how many guys have really stood out at camp so yeah that, that's kind of how it works thanks for the question thanks for the the super chat again if you super chat like we're going to throw it up we're going to talk about it that it helps us and, and it means a lot so yeah let's keep going here keep grinding it out yeah, so there, there's a lot, and we're going to start with the waiver stuff, and obviously the caption here on, on YouTube, everyone right now watching is on YouTube, but if you're listening on the audio, I've got Sokolov, JVD, and Lassie on waivers. That's just in the span of a few days. Obviously, Bernard Docker and Sokolov most recently will be on waivers as of 2 p.m. today, so it'll, it'll factor in. We'll find out if they get claimed tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Um, the thing with Lassie obviously getting claimed and going to the Anaheim Ducks uh, and then triggering this move with JVD and with Sokolov, it's like... I don't know how to feel about it. I really don't. I slept on it last night, obviously didn't really talk much about it on Twitter. Like I'm, I'm there's two minds. It's I love Igor Sokolov. I'm a big JBD guy. I kind of admittedly written, had written off Lassie Thompson of the three. I think he had a much better, like the best camp I, I would say. I don't think that's crazy to say. I think Lassie Thompson had a great camp. Um, a little bit of different scenarios though. So let's let, first, let's touch on the two right shot defensemen. Two first round picks, 2018 for JBD, 2019 for Lassie Thompson, same area in the draft. Um, and listen, like it, it's not good. And, and I call it bad asset management because it is, but just saying that doesn't mean I think they should be handed a spot. It's, you know, you've got Lassie Thompson who's played what 23 games in the NHL at this point. He's 23. Like to me, bad asset management is not figuring out what you have in him and then just losing him for nothing. Cause that's what just happened. They lost Lassie Thompson for absolutely nothing. And Look, you can you can say like, oh yeah, they probably tried to trade him, whatever it was. They clearly didn't try hard enough because the first team on the waiver wire was the Anaheim Ducks and they picked him. So you can just assume that a few other teams would have put in a claim as well. Um, I don't expect JBD and Sokolov to get picked up, but then again, I didn't expect um Lassie to get picked up. Again, I'll, I'll try and we'll try and keep this narrowed to the right shot defenseman. Elephant in the room is Max Gannett, who is a sixth round pick, maybe seventh. I could be Mixing seventh, up the rounds there. Seventh round pick in 2019. Same year as Thompson, by the way. Exactly. And one year so, after JBD. <laughs> so a seventh round pick in 2019. You think like, I'll put this in terms of like, like NHL 24, when you're making trades and stuff, like the value that draft picks have. When you're a first round pick, it's like half the bar at least. And then a seventh round pick is like that. It's that small. You put it in that kind of context, a seventh round pick being, it's not just that they value him more. He's been better and there's no debate there. He was way better in Belleville last year. He got a call up last year. He's been great in camp and he's getting rewarded. He's the seventh defenseman for the Ottawa Senators right now, which no one had on their bingo board. I did not have that. Didn't see it coming. I liked Gannett. I thought he'd have a bigger role in Belleville this year, but he's their guy. He is their seventh defenseman. He's the guy who's going to be pushing Travis Hamnick out of an in and out of the lineup. Like, what do you make of all that? Let's start with just JVD and Lassie and then we'll get into Sokolov. 
So, yeah, it's frustrating to lose last year. I was a little surprised they almost chose him over JBD to start because I thought he was having a much better camp. I thought, admittedly, I thought Bernard Docker struggled this camp. Like, I would have been surprised. I mean, I thought he'd still make the team just because, again, I didn't expect them to risk losing him. But at the same time, he did not have a very good camp. He was kind of at fault for a couple of goals, didn't really hold his own. So uh, he kind of got outperformed. So I'm not shocked necessarily. But again, Thompson, I thought, was the one that outperformed him, and then they waived him first. Uh, maybe it's helping with the, the clearing a little bit of cap space and stuff. I don't think Bernard Docker will be claimed because he's got two years and on his contract, and it's a one-way deal. I don't think a lot of teams want to pay a guy who's going to sit in the minors like almost a million a year. So uh, I wouldn't expect him to get claimed, but at the same time, who knows? Um, it, it's tough, right? It's a tough look from a perspective, like an organizational perspective, because they're two first round picks, JBD and, and Thompson, right? They're first round picks in back to back years, 26th overall, 19th overall, and you're waving them both days apart. And then Sokolov's a second round pick, an early second round pick. Like, I mean, it's just, it, it's, or a late second round pick. It's just rough. Like, it, that's a bad look. Like, two first round picks and a second round pick from three drafts, recent drafts, like all on waivers. You could lose them all for nothing. And that that's like three pretty good prospects who are considered Ottawa's best prospects like two years ago. So it's, it's rough, right? But, I think that we have to keep in mind there isn't a ton of positions on the roster now. Like the jobs are kind of shoring up. Uh, Ottawa's got a very strong core. Someone like Sokolov, for example, he needs to play up the lineup. He needs to get minutes and, and power play time and, and be a scoring threat. That role is not really available, right? Maybe if they trade Joseph, there's something on the third line, but then you've got Ridley Gregg, right? It's just there's not a lot of roles. And I think with the way that Schmickal and and again, we're talking about defensemen, but the way that Schmickal and Yarventi and Gannett played in the preseason and, and in training camp, they just like they beat these guys out a little bit. And I feel bad for these guys because they've shown a lot in the past, but at the same time, like you have to look at the preseason, right? You have to look at what we're seeing right now. And Again, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you. I think that the frustrating part about this, and I tweeted it last night, Thompson played 18 total games in the NHL. Sokolov played 13, Bernard Docker played 32. We have no idea what these guys are at the NHL level. That that's the basis of why I'm a little frustrated and disappointed. Is that the last two years, especially last year, they had so many injuries in Ottawa, so many, and they used they use guys like Dylan Gambrell, Patrick Brown. All these depth guys who were completely ineffective veterans who were kind of just fillers, they use them instead of their their prospects, instead of making evaluations on these young guys, right? And now they don't know what they've got. Thompson could get claimed, like he got claimed by Anaheim. He could go there, be their bottom pairing defenseman and earn a full-time role for the, this whole season. I wouldn't be shocked. I'm not saying that like Ottawa's missing out on some, you know, Paul Coffey here, but I'm, I'm just saying like, it, it would not shock me if he comes in and he actually has a solid showing for Anaheim while Jamie Drysdale is out. So it's just frustrating because we don't know what these guys are at the NHL level. And and again, like I liked what I saw from Thompson in the NHL. I liked what I saw from Sokolov in five games last year. He had a goal and an assist. Like he looked good. I liked what I saw from Bernard Docker a couple of years ago too, but we just don't know what they are. And so Ottawa's kind of almost giving up on their, you know, high, high value assets. It's been a few years. I know you can't hang on to the draft title, but at the same time, they are among their best prospects. Like a, a year or two ago, everybody had these guys at the top of their, their prospect rankings. And Ottawa's pretty thin on prospects now. Like if these guys get claimed, even one of Bernard Docker or Sokolov, Ottawa's pretty thin on prospects and, and it's not good to see. So um, another thing is that depth is kind of shoring up too now. If, you know, Thompson's gone, if Chikrin and obviously Shabbat, they have some injury history. Sanderson does too, Zub. Um, if they get hurt, like you don't have Thompson to call up now, right? You can rely on Clevin. Hopefully he stays healthy. Bernard Docker might get claimed. It, it's just kind of a risky thing. Um, but like I said, the most frustrating thing to me is that they didn't really make an evaluation on these young guys, and now they're giving up on them. It sucks, but it is what it is. Um, 
we, we know that Ottawa has a great core and a great group of players. I don't think that these are anything to end the world over. It's relatively minor moves. So those are my takes on it. Hopefully Sokolov and JBD make it through waivers, but I am kind of holding my breath uh, on, on Sokolov, especially just because he's that two-way player. Somebody might take a shot on him. Um, but yeah, that's my take on it. Yeah, it's tough just when you can when you factor in their draft position and it's not like they it's not like they didn't, you know, uh, develop. I've seen some people kind of pointing out like the development path wasn't good. Like, I mean, Igor was it was an all star back to back years in the AHL. There's really not much more you can ask for him at that level. He was a top scorer um, and that that can be mis, um, misconstrued sometimes. Like it, it's a different game, right? At the NHL level. I think I liked what I saw from Sokolov at the end of last year when he was up with the team. Again, it's a bit of a different situation with him and JBD and Lassie Thompson. Um, the thing though, that, that I think is getting lost in this. And I think what I didn't really soak in uh, right away, because you see who gets cut and gets dropped. I think it's awesome that Max Gannett has, developed it like you can you can kind of go like glass half full right like it's disappointing that lassie and jbd didn't really get developed properly in quotations because just the way we maybe the expectations we had whatever it was um but then you look at a guy like Gannett, a seventh round pick from four years ago and now he's gonna be in the nhl lineup is it pretty much that's that's a like that's pretty cool to, to talk about right and not just an nhl line like yeah lassie thompson's probably gonna play on the ducks but the ducks are supposed to be one of the worst teams in the league this year Max Gannett is a seventh round pick and he's going to be on one of the, hopefully, you know, a playoff team in the NHL. That's a big deal. I think it's important. And we can go even further with the forwards. Again, I love Igor Sokolov, but you look at the camp Roby Arventi had, he absolutely deserves to be where he is. He was playing center and he's not a centerman. Finished the year last year at center. And from what I know, when he was drafted, he was a winger. Um, so to me, like all of that kind of, there, there's, there's two sides of this. And it was always going to be like this. They always had... We talked about it all summer, especially up front. They had so many forwards that were like battling for three spots. They had so many guys who could be third, fourth liners, but there, there were like nine of them. They all played in Sydney pretty much, except for Drake Batherson. Every single guy in that lineup was fighting for a depth role. And, you know, people were going to get cut. And it just sucks that it has to be Igor because obviously like the contract stuff, like it didn't have to last that long. And then he's on waivers a week later. So that's a little bit disappointing, I guess. In terms of that, I think with Igor, it's a bit different too, because um, like in terms of depth, you want, you can hide depth up front or poor depth, I should say. Like you can hide a bit of a weak link up front much more easily than you can on the back end. Um, I We haven't really talked about it and it hasn't been talked about enough. Eric Branstrom looks fantastic. Like he looked so good last night um, and I've loved his camp. So you don't want to hide that pairing. You don't want, and I'm not saying putting him with Thompson or JBD would be burdening him in any way, but you don't want, you know, if, if they go out and Thompson's struggling, you don't want to have to be like, all right, we got to sit that pairing down because Brandstrom's positive value on the ice. And we can, I can't wait to go on this season about Eric Brandstrom. If I'm assuming he's going to be in Ottawa, but um, yeah, like that's the thing. And, and then their, their blue line is their strength right now. Right. And I think having a weakness there uh, or a, what you would call a weakness, I can see why the coaching staff maybe, and the management, whoever it was, is just not willing to have a project, if that makes sense. And yeah, it's it's really unfortunate for Thompson and JVD because they kind of got caught in this whirlwind of adding Zub, adding Chikrin, Sanderson coming out of you know out of uh, college and being a stud. Like they just got lost in the woodwork. I don't think they're going to be bad NHL defensemen. I think they'll find a way in in their career. We don't. I'm talking like JVD's gone. He might be just sent down to Belleville depth call up, whatever it is. 
Um, but the, the blue line is their position of strength now. So I think, I think this team is good enough where you need to make decisions that will in the moment, make the blue line better. And I really, I do believe like Hamannick aside, um, I do believe having Hamannick and Gannett as a six, seven is not a bad spot to be in. And I, I really do believe that. I love Max Gannett. I'm really, really high on him. Yeah. So just, yeah, it is notable that if JBD clears, he could be recalled like next week if they wanted to. I mean, that that, that is the, a penguin, the penguins just did it today with like Ty Smith yeah, and all the guys they sent exactly. down the other day. Like if he clears, he could just come right back up. It's a, a risky thing, but it is what it is. Just something to know, keep in mind. Um, But yeah, you're right. Like I think that Hamannick and I know Rachel Dory on Twitter yesterday, she tweeted like Ottawa's throwing away young talent and Bernard Docker and Thompson and keeping Hamannick makes no sense because like Hamannick might be the better player now, but that doesn't matter because Ottawa's not competing. That's what she said. And I'm like, like when is Ottawa supposed to compete? Because we've been waiting that, for, that's for six just, years. That's now. just an uninformed take. I'm not going to like when they, they, they haven't had a first round pick in two years. Like obviously they're I mean. competing now. They're like, trying they're, to at least. They haven't competed yet. This is what I hate about social media with the Sens is like they haven't proven it yet technically. So nobody believes they're going to compete. It's like this forever rebuild. But in reality, like the expectation is they're going to compete this year. Like they can laugh in my face if Ottawa misses the playoffs again. But the expectation, their goal is to compete. So they're going to choose players who are better right now than guys who are potentially going to hurt them in critical situations like the thing is I, i'm not even big on hamannick everyone in the chat should know i'm not big on hamannick because i criticize him a lot during the season uh his on ice performance i love him as a leader but like i still want him over thompson and jbd right now i did not agree with giving him a full no movement clause because that kind of sealed their fate like he, you can't really do much if you have hamannick here when he can't be sent to the minors he can't be traded like he's just like literally solid in this lineup um but I still think he's the better player right now or the more reliable player might be a better way to put it, right? Like he's someone, you know, can play on the penalty kill. He's someone, you know, you can put out in certain situations. They know what they've got in him. And I'm not big on the veterans over the youth, but this year, like they cannot. And, and I hate to say this because I kind of go back on it up front. They can't really afford to experiment. Like we can't be experimenting with Thompson or Bernard Docker who are kind of like these question marks, especially Thompson because he's more of an offensive guy, right? Like if you put him with Brandstrom on paper, that's not a great combo. And if you like, if that costs you games early in the season, I mean, like we saw what it does last year, right? Like you can't rely on something like that when you know Hammond, it can be at least like he doesn't bring a lot up front, but at least he can be a rock who can play the penalty kill and, and be, you know, that leader and whatever. Um, I like keeping him in the lineup over those guys right now. And that's why I say it's tough and, and it's frustrating for those two players because they just don't really have anywhere to go in Ottawa um, because of the, the situation. Like the rebuild is over. It really is. And, and the Sens can't keep um, taking these risks and experimenting, which is why I said I wish they would have the last two years um, because now they're in a situation where they can't afford to. I say I go back on that and, and the forwards a little bit because I still want them to play Roby Arventi to start the season. And, and I think it's just what you said. It's easier to bury um, that up front. Like, you know what I mean? Like you can kind of, if your Venti's not working out on the fourth line, I don't think that's going to be detrimental to the team. Whereas on defense, like you need each of those pairings to be reliable and consistent because if you're putting out your third pairing of Brandstrom and, and Bernard Docker or Thompson, and they're really struggling because of Thompson or Bernard Docker, like that's hard to cover up. You know, then you start to have to, you have to like sit that pairing, you have to roll the top four and then they get exhausted. It's, you can't really do that. Whereas on, on forward, I like starting with your Venti up front. I don't even care if he's not suited for a fourth line role. In my opinion, in camp, he's been one of the best 
depth, gritty players. He's been winning battles. Like he's 6'2, 214, by the way, Yerventi. And he doesn't use that. He hasn't used that size in the past, but this year, my God, he looks like a different beast. That's, like, a, he's that's a sneaky, battles. sneaky 214, too. Yeah, yeah. And like he's lean, but like he he's winning battles. He's driving with the puck. He's like, he's playing physical. I mean, he just looks like someone who could actually play on the fourth line. And in my mind, like he earned that spot over Zach McEwen and Parker Kelly. I mean, I, I posted the stats last night for the, uh, the um depth battle on forward and, and like Yerventi has three goals and one assist a plus five rating through just 1203 of average ice time in four games like McEwen has no points and eight penalty minutes in in four, uh, five games so it's just like I, I'm not trying to hate on Zach McEwen or Parker Kelly but I think that they've been severely outplayed by Schmickal and and, and uh, Yerventi and I think that Schmickal and Yerventi would look great alongside Castellick on the fourth line so yeah go ahead so the thing is with, with, with the fourth line, we, let's get into that right now, like the forward depth and everything. Um, the thing with that is people might point out and be like, oh yeah, your event, he was playing with Batherson and that's why he got points. And like, yeah, that's probably true. He's not going to produce like that when he's on the fourth line, let's say, but it's, it's the idea that he can move up and you're not worried. Like if, if they get a couple injuries or like, God forbid COVID happens again or something like that, and you get like five guys out of your lineup. I don't want to throw Zach McEwen with Tim Stutzler, right? But I'm confident putting a guy like Yerventi because his upside is top six potential. The thing with all these guys, and I'm going to throw Eric Brandstrom in there too. I'm going to pump his tires again, is like a guy like Lassie Thompson and JVD, they were projected top four defensemen. That was a potential when they were drafted, maybe top pairing. JVD was seen as a good fit with Thomas Shabbat long-term. That was what I saw anyway. And especially at the World Juniors, that's where you look good. Eric Brandstrom was the same thing, like projected top four defensemen, what Brandstrom's doing now, what he's done the last two seasons, is transform his game into a bottom role defenseman who can step up when people are injured. That's what his value is, and that's why he's so important to the Sens. If you have Eric Brandstrom, though, who can only play in the top four, and that's why you got to send him down every now and then, like the first couple of years of his career in Ottawa, that's a problem. So a guy like Yarventi, if he can prove that he can play on a fourth line, um, while also being able to step up when you need to, or if like if the sends are playing poorly and you want to throw the lines in a jumble, you can throw your venti on the first or second line, and no one like we'd bat an eye probably, but no one would be rolling their eyes at DJ because it's a it's a legitimate move. So I think that has to be come into consideration as well. Like you, it's not just about your you don't need your fourth line to go out there and score a goal every night. You need them to be responsible defensively, and you need them to be able to produce when called upon. And being called upon is when you have injuries up and down the lineup. So I think your Venti coming in as a centerman, especially with Josh Norris as a question mark, which we'll get into as well. Pinto not on the lineup yet. Like you, they have they have no center depth right now. So having Ridley Gregg and your Venti there showing that they can play is massive. It's, it's huge. And I, I just, I really want to make that point about Brandstrom because I think it, it might get overlooked a lot. And like, I am so ready to start Brandstrom discourse this season. We don't even have to do it now because he's playing great, but like this guy is an NHL defenseman and I think he's a great player. I think he's a hidden gem on this blue line. Um, the way he's like bought, like, I think there was a shift in the first period. I caught the way he boxed out Evgeny Malkin. Like that, that is a tank. And well, and let's be clear though. Like it, it's his defensive play, though. That's it, what it's I'm not, talking about. Yeah. It's not even what yeah. he projected as. Because it's he's transforming. He's transformed his game to be yeah. a bottom pair. Like he can penalty kill. He can do all that. And I'm challenging people who think that his size is his biggest detractor. Because I get that. It's optics. I understand not wanting a 5'11", 5'10", defenseman in the NHL, and I can see why it would get exposed every now and then. But if you watch Eric Brandstrom play defensively, he's better than a lot of guys on their team. Like he's very smart position wise. He's good. I think he looks better than he ever has. And it's obviously early it's preseason, but the team's playing well. And I think he's a huge part of it. 
Well, and people don't really like appreciate his ability to retrieve the puck in the defensive zone and then quickly like make a quick move and then get the puck out. It, it kind of goes overlooked sometimes. Is like what watch Eric Brandstrom. Like what I love doing, and I do. You know, we you're probably gonna do it too. But film studies on EverydaySense.com, where I like literally go through the game logs and just like watch every single one of the player's shifts. If you do that and you watch Brandstrom, you will see like. This guy, man, like he he does so many little things that go unnoticed and then people just look at his size. And I've already seen discourse on him this year, by the way, on Twitter. And I just I don't get it because he's playing so well. It's like aside from him being small, what is there to hate on about? Like he's so good at moving the puck. No, he's not going to body somebody like Clevin did to Lomberg in that one Florida game. But like he does move the puck really well and, and he makes up for it in other ways. Right. And that that's a big thing. Just going back. I saw some some comments in the chat about uh, McEwen because again, McEwen the, the like he's not there to score goals. He's going to be the thirteenth forward. That's one hundred percent. Like I agree with you. I think he should be the thirteenth forward. I'm not even saying he should be sent down. He he can stay as the thirteenth. Here's the thing. I don't trust DJ Smith to make him the thirteenth forward. Like on paper, yeah, he should be the thirteenth coming in when they play Toronto to to go with Ryan Reeves. Sure. But, like, is that actually going to happen? Because I haven't heard it yet, and I haven't seen it. And the fact that he's been playing with Kastelik and Kelly leads me to believe that, that that's going to be the fourth line to start the year. And, listen, I'm all for DJ Smith learning, and, and I'm going to be on his side if he does. But based on what we've seen in the past, it certainly seems like that's going to be the combination, and he's going to roll with that to start the year. Um, so we'll see. I'm going to be optimistic about it. I'm not saying Yerventi like should be the fourth line player just because like maybe he doesn't fit that role. I'm just saying I think he's earned a chance in the NHL. I think he's like really outperformed other players in camp to the point where I just don't know how you can deny him. Like I don't know how you can send him down and keep Parker Kelly on the team and, and say that that's fair. Like it's not because Yerventi again like he doesn't fit the fourth line prototype. But in camp, he's been using his body. He's been playing with his size. Like, that's what you need to see. And I agree with you. He needs, like, it's good to have someone who can kind of play up the lineup on the fourth line. But I think that the fourth line itself has to be more dynamic. Like, I, I can't remember the percent, but they contributed almost nothing on offense last year to the Sens. They're not there to score goals, but at the same time, every fourth line in the NHL on a contending team has to be able to at least hold their own and not get dominated. Yarventi is someone who can get the puck and actually manage it and have, like, thrive with possession. He can carry the puck into the offensive zone. In the offensive zone, he can actually make things happen. He's not just going to be dump it into the corner and fail to retrieve it and then go and be hemmed into the defensive zone, which is what we've seen for the last four years. So I'm not saying that the fourth line should be like skill guys that's not my point it's that like a guy like schmickal and then your venti those are two massive bodies who can be physical and, and your venti showed it i think that you factor that in with castlick and then also the fact that like your venti can play center too and, and that gives you versatility if norris or pinto isn't there uh and suddenly like that fourth line looks really good to me and i think that it's dynamic it should be defensively responsible maybe not as physical as kelly and McEwen, but i don't think that physical in the sense of throwing yourself out of the play to, to have a big hit i don't think that really matters like whatever that this isn't 1970 like we don't need that anymore this is about dynamic and, and puck management so i just think it's outdated to prefer a guy like McEwen over a guy like schmickal or Yerventi on the fourth line uh you have to find two-way players so just needed to get that out because i i'm like i just can see this whole kelly castle like McEwen thing coming up and it's gonna frustrate the hell out of me so regardless good discussion um and and i think yeah our big takeaway eric brandstrom just looks like a another step forward and that's huge for the Sens uh, and hopefully he doesn't price himself out of Ottawa but I am going to be nervous about that all year because he's only on a one one year contract right yeah we're, we got to savor the Brandstrom stuff because it very it could be it but uh, you know in a good way because he, he will deserve a raise next next year if he has a good year but that's kind of the thing with the defenseman it's like because Brandstrom's such an asset on that bottom pairing in our eyes at least and I'm sure management as well um, you can't you can't burden him and I, I'm saying burden with quotations but like 
you can't burden him with a guy who you you are you're experimenting with, right? You know what you have in Hamannick, and you know what you have in Gannett. Pretty much, you can't put Lassie there because the game that Lassie played, the one before he was put on waivers against Winnipeg, he played very well, but he had one glaring mistake that ended up in the back of their net. Like they they can't afford mistakes like that. They can't afford big mistakes. It costed them dearly last year. So Brendan, all right, we're about a half an hour through this one. I want to say halfway, but I never know with us. You know, you know like we, we could be going long here. It's only our first subject, and we went off the rails in a good way. But let's get a word from our presenting sponsor from Manscaped. Support for the Everyday Sense podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package, the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 8 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code SENDS20 at manscapes.com. Brendan, I know we've talked about it, and uh, I think this thing's a game changer. It really is, and, and I'm going to keep pushing that. We put out some tweets. It's just a great package. I know you finally got yours. You want to you talk about it a little bit? Just I know you had those nice little photo shoot with it there that you put on Twitter. That was pretty great to see. So tell the folks about Manscaped and what you can get in the performance package. Yeah, I mean, you get like you get the electric razor, you get all the the different deodorants and all the sprays you can imagine and and all the like there's just a ton of stuff. There's bad like there's a nice little um like bathroom kit and bag and I don't know, man. You go on manscaped.com and there's a whole bunch of different products like just just give it a look because really like it's useful stuff and, and you don't think you need it but then suddenly you do and it, it comes in handy right and this is like it's important stuff that people don't really talk about but hey like it, it, it is useful and the package the performance package is what they sent to us uh and yeah i've really enjoyed it so far but again they've got a ton of products on their website and, and you can go through like they've got the beard trimmers they've got like the the nose hair trimmers like everything you can imagine um so like using the code man it supports us and it helps you get exactly what you need so uh, we appreciate it and i definitely recommend go look at check it out manscape.com so it's an international company right they're mm-hmm. not based out of canada so that free shipping is huge right i know if anyone online shops ever like the shipping is usually what bangs you and i think having free shipping with this code in addition in addition to 20 percent off is massive the uh, i'm actually wearing the underwear that comes in the performance package right now not to give too too much information there to everyone watching right now but Again, that's get 20% off and free shipping with the code SENDS20 at manscapes.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscapes.com and use code SENDS20. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. All right, let's get into our next segment. I think it's time to talk some Shane Pinto. I think uh, that kind of blew up on the weekend. It was on Saturday that it kind of went over or went off uh, off on, on Twitter there. Um, this is, uh, this is getting ridiculous, I think. And obviously this is all, was all breaking before the waiver stuff happened before 1.7 in space was open in the opening press conference of the season. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Dorian was obviously asked about Shane Pinto and he alluded to, he didn't say it. He alluded to the fact that the holdup was the actual contract and not moving space, which is what we were all speculating. We were saying, you know, there was a flyers beat writer saying it's going to take Tyler Boucher or first and Joseph to like attach with Joseph to get rid of him. Then Joseph goes off and has a great camp. We're all speculating. Oh, wait, maybe, maybe they can just get a first for Joseph in like a funny, in a funny way, but he shouldn't have a first attached to him, whatever they should be able to move him. Well, on Saturday, Elliot Friedman puts out a piece on, on this topic alone, which means it's big. The biggest insider in the NHL doesn't just do this. Um, and says the gap has widened between Pinto and the Sens. 
I, I'm kind of paraphrasing here. I don't have it in front of me, but I can remember it because it made me so mad. Uh, the gap has widened between Pinto and the Sens. Pinto was very disappointed in a recent one-by-one offer, or it was a one-year in the $1 million range is what Elliot said. I don't take that to mean 1.7 as we might be speculating now with the cap space. I think that's more like a 1.1 closer to 1 million than it is. Maybe, maybe even under 1 million, which would be ridiculous um, for one year. Pinto refused it and is looking for something around 2.5. Didn't say over 2.5 around 2.5. And that kind of just, you know, went, went off, went off. And it just kind of hammered home the fact that it really isn't the trade uh, Elliot also said in the piece, he said that the Sens are confident they can make a deal and not that they had one in place, but he's confident that that's not the reason this is being held up. It is legitimately just the contract talk. So Brendan, where, where are you at with this? Like this, this sucks, man. I, uh, I've got a lot, I've got some thoughts on it, obviously, but you can, you can go ahead and just kind of give me, give me what you think about the Shane Pinto debacle. And we have two preseason games left and the Sens are without center number two and center number three with two games on preseason. Yeah, the Pinto thing, it sucks because obviously like he, he is a, a key part of this lineup and to start the season without him would be really unfortunate in a year that is so, you know, a strong start is so pivotal. Um, the one by one contract offer, I will say it's frustrating because obviously I think a lot of people kind of took that as the sense value Pinto at $1 million, which is certainly not how I took it. I more took it as they only have $1 million. So they're going to try to get him on board with probably with the promise of paying him more next year. Um, but then like, Pinto's not going to bet on himself, right? Like he has no reason to bet on himself. He was injured for all of, of two years ago and they just played 82 games. He's not going to risk himself on a one-year deal, like with no money in, and then go and get hurt this year. There's no reason for him to do it. He should not take that contract. I will say Ottawa kind of had to try, right? Like, why not why not try if you've got one million maybe he'll really buy into the team mantra and you can just get a guy on that but again pinto has no reason to accept that and ottawa really shouldn't have even bothered because like he's not going to take that um obviously again 1.7 million with you know a league minimum 20 players on the roster like they, they've got 19 right now so they could sign him um but i don't think they want to run with no scratches by the way josh bailey was not released from his pto either so that that's inching towards a potential contract i don't know how they think they're going to do that but uh regardless I think the Pinto thing sucks and it's really going to hurt Ottawa if he is missing to start the year. Uh, again, maybe Ridley Gregg steps in, Yarventi could get a shot on the third line, but like Pinto is the guy, right? Like he's a 20 goal rookie goals, rookie scorer. And that's just, that's not someone you can just replace. That's really going to hurt them. And and I think that this was all kind of on the send because they, they committed money to players without having Pinto signed, said it when they signed Tarasenko. I said it when they signed uh, Corpus Allo. I was hoping that they had talked to Pinto and gotten something in place like tentatively and they didn't right like it's it's they just kind of ignored Pinto and so he has every right to be frustrated which is how it seems this is going again Freeman made it clear he did not request a trade or anything like this is still both sides wanting to get it done but Pinto seems to be kind of on the the disgruntled side and he has every right to be because the team kind of paid everybody except for him and then ignored him and, and left him until you know right before the season now even if he signs today he missed almost all of camp and, and the preseason so now he's going into the season cold and, and that's just really really bad for him uh who's who's dealt with injuries in the past so hopefully this gets sorted and they have him ready to go but again we're eight days out now eight days till the regular season there's two preseason games left like 
Dorian's going to work some magic here. And if he's going to make a trade, make a trade because they need to get Pinto going. And I think it would kind of suck to, for him to miss the entire camp and preseason. I'd like to see him get some action before the regular season. Um, but yeah, this was kind of all the Sens doing and they're paying for it now. Uh, nobody should be mad at Pinto here because he has every right to be disgruntled with the fact that he was kind of left out of the equation uh, by Ottawa. Look, and the thing is with, with Pinto, and, and there are people who are saying he should have just taken the one by one, take one for the team. I've seen a lot of that. I think that's ridiculous. I think that's the most ridiculous thing I read on Twitter in the last couple of days, which is saying something. Um, the 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 notion, like like a lot of people pointed to Kevin LeBanc. He did it a couple of years ago in San Jose when they were competing, took a one by one, and then I think in January or the next summer at least signed a four-year 4.75, whatever it was, extension got his money. Um, we don't like, I, I think the term Pinto is looking for himself is also a one and two year deal. Like he's in a way betting on himself too, but a one by one is not betting on yourself. That's literally just doing the team a favor. Like you're, and again, I don't blame them for trying. Uh, I blame them for trying now. I think trying now is a bit of a, bit of a bad look. Um, and the tone of Elliot's press re or release is that, uh, uh, that was the first time they tabled it. Right. And it's not and like he's asking for something around 2.5. And it's not that the Sens are saying they can't do it yet. It's that they don't want to go that high. They don't want to give him 2.5, which I think is, again, ridiculous. You look at a lot of analytical models. I use the one with the athletic. It's got him at 2.8. And I think a lot of that is actually sunk like, like it's worse than it would be because uh, that second line was not good enough last season. And I think that tanked the results a little bit. He was perfect in the third line. You throw him with Kubalik or you know, not Joseph anymore. We throw him with Kubalik or Ridley, Greg, whoever it is, that's going to be a dynamite line. He's a piece of your PK, which is taking a hit when you move Matthew Joseph. Uh, he's a piece of your second unit power play, which is going to act as a first unit. Unfortunately, didn't get to see it last night at all, but like so many things point to Pinto being a valuable member of this team, but they're not treating him like one. They really aren't. And they would have, if they, if they signed him on July 1st, when they signed Eric Brandstrom, I'm not doubting that they tried uh, and, and, you know, it, um, Pinto's agent, I'm blanking on the name right now, but he's, he represents uh, William Nylander and Rasmus Sandin, who did obviously similar things in Toronto. Like it, it maybe it's more of a, a thing with the agent as well, like holding out for every single dollar. But when people like also, I know when you think of a con, let's say, let's say Tim Stutzel, right? Let's say this was a, a long negotiation with Stutzel. And he wanted 8.5 and the Sens wanted to give him 8, 8 million. And then it was a bit of a stalemate because of that. That happens. And it happens with every star player. They debate over a couple hundred thousand dollars, which again, is still a lot of money. But you think of it from a Pinto perspective, he's asking for 2.5, let's say, and they're offering one. That's an 150% pay decrease from what he's asking for. Like the, the, the gap widens the lower the dollar amount is. So like every other dollar matters that much more when you're making less. And Pinto asking for 2.5 after the season he had and Pierre Dorian, no hesitation last summer gave Matthew Joseph a four year, $2.95 million a year deal after 12 games in a Senator's Jersey. It's ridiculous. They're drawing, they're moving the goalposts that was crazy. for their third line center. And it's, it's, I don't understand it. They're moving the goalposts for their guy who was their top prospect came in from college has been in the program now for three years battled back from a shoulder injury and played a full season, full 82 games as a rookie was a bit out of his depth, but if they're pinching pennies on him because of that, I don't like it. And if it was just Friedman saying that it was uh, about the contract and the team hadn't really confirmed anything, then I'd be like, okay, grain of salt, whatever, even though it's the best insider in the NHL, he wouldn't say it without having reason, reason to, but Dorian said it too 
in his opening press conference, he alluded to it saying it's we're, we're confident about a trade. It's about coming to terms. They don't want to give him 2.5. I posed the question on Twitter last night uh, because I don't personally think it's true because I think that's a bit ridiculous to speculate on, but it's worth considering if Dorian is kind of digging his heels in because of new ownership, why are you digging your heels in for a, a contract under 2.5 million when you've dished out like, like a, a one by one, 1.1 million a year, two year deal and a no movement clause to your sixth defenseman. And you're pinching pennies on your third line center. Like we, we had a debate about who's more valuable, your third line center, or is it your uh, fourth defenseman? And that's a debate. If you're handing out that contract to Travis Hamannick, no problem. Why is this a big deal with Shane Pinto? I'm I'm ridiculously over that kind of mentality from the Sens. I don't understand it. This is long gone. This is Melnick days kind of penny pinching. I'm I'm tired of it. It just get him to camp, man. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I don't really know why they'd be hesitant to pay Pinto 2.5 million. I mean, he's well worth that money, and, and I think he showed that. Um, yeah, and then yeah, you look at some of the other contracts they've handed out like willy nilly, and it's like this makes no sense. Uh, what I'm really hoping is that they're not hesitant to pay him because they want to pay Josh Bailey, and I'm still still so nervous because that would cost 775k at a minimum, and obviously like that, if you're paying 2.5, then suddenly they need to have like just quick math, like 300 or 3 million and just like over 3 million. So that, that adds to that. If he takes less than 2 million, maybe you could afford him too. Um, if Josh Bailey is factoring into this at all, that's completely insane. So hopefully that's not happening, but uh, yeah, I don't know why they would be also interesting to note. Uh, did you hear that Steve Steos interview yesterday in the intermission with TSN 1200? I, I was at work and I heard like parts of it. I was, I was looking right at Graham Creech. Actually, I wanted to ask, to I wanted to ask your thoughts because basically like they tried to ask him about like Dorian Pinto and, and Steos was very much in the mindset of like dancing around every question and basically yeah. saying like, that's all up to pierre that's all to be i so felt bad interested I, like or, or is this like is, is steos really just gonna like test pierre and be like are you gonna be able to solve this or, or is this gonna be an excuse to kind of like get rid of you 100 <laughs> percent. this is a tryout for pierre dorian and it's not even like i wrote about that on everydaysends.com head over there use code go go for a little bit of a discount as well um i i i alluded to that like like this is a tryout for him like he's under steos's microscope because steos is under and lowers like yeah they got a relationship but steos doesn't want to be like you know look like he's slacking under this new owner. It's his new boss. Um, just like DJ is going to be under Pierre, like Pierre's got to look at DJ differently now. Right. So everything's under a microscope now in Ottawa in this new, like, you know, regime shift or whatever you want to call it. Like I did hear that's actually funny. I heard those exact questions. I kind of tuned in and um, yeah, like, like I, I felt a little bit bad for Creech to be honest, because it's a great question. Obviously you got to ask him. He's the president of the team, president of hockey operations, it's in the GM's hands. Like I, I don't know if every president would say that again, it's new for people in Ottawa to have a president like that, like a different person running things over the GM. Um, but I mean, even like if it's day to day and if it's big picture stuff, like, I mean, it's the same thing, isn't it? Like if you're, you're disgruntling a guy, like that's the thing too. It's not like it's, this isn't like a, like when Nylander held out in Toronto, it was a big deal because it was he's a huge piece of their core great player like top player in the league um no disrespect to Shane Pinto but he not like and I, he would probably tell you he's not he's not a superstar <laughs> he was uh, i believe top 10 rookie rookie voting or whatever it was like he um actually I don't even think he was I don't think he was that was a big deal he wasn't top 10 in the Calder voting but um like like he knows his place and it's not like they're fighting over an 8 million dollar contract like they were with Brady Kachuk when he signed on the first day of the season this is completely different. It's a depth signing, but it's a signing that makes your depth playoff caliber. 
with Shane Pinto gone, I, I love Ridley Gregg, but like you kind of take a hit. You really do on the wing and wherever it is. So he's valuable and he knows it. And all he's asking for is $2.5 million. He would be, do the quick math here. You got Norris, uh, Kachuk, Stutzel, Giroux, Batherson, um, Tarasenko, uh, Joseph, and then Kubalik probably. That's seven forwards who make more than that already. What's the big deal? Like, just pull the trigger here. Make him the seventh highest paid when you move Joseph or whatever it is. Like, I I don't get it, man. He It's the perfect slot for where he would be. The seventh highest paid as your third line center is probably par around the league. I think that'd be pretty, uh, pr- like pretty fair to, to, to say, I just get like, the longer this goes on, I think everyone's just getting, getting more frustrated. And I know there's people and I'm going to, I'm going to say sends chirp because they put out a tweet and I, I love sends chirp.ca like a great writing. And I love the Twitter account. Um, but put out a tweet just saying like, people need to stop focusing on the negative. There's a lot to look forward to with this team. And like, yeah, there is, of course there is, but this is this is far from a normal situation. This doesn't happen all the time. This does not happen where uh, a playoff caliber team is in the middle of a stalemate at the end of training camp, October 3rd, with a huge part of their, their core. Like, it doesn't happen. So I'm a little bit frustrated with it all, obviously, but we also, we also are focusing on the good things. That's what's frustrating. It could be so much better, and it, it's it's not like a hopeful situation. Like, it legitimately, on paper, this is a great, great hockey team. And we're seeing it in preseason. Add Pinto to that mix. It's that much better. Yeah, people are making some good points in the chat too. So I'm going to go through a couple of them here. So one is that Ottawa shouldn't really sign or can't really sign Pinto until they make a trade because then they lose all leverage. And and if they are stuck over the cap with like no no time left before the season, then they're really in a tough spot. They're going to have to give up a lot to move a guy like Joseph. So again, Pierre said he's confident about a trade. I don't know why they're, they're hesitating to pull the trigger on a trade and then get Pinto signed. But yes, it's a good point that they can't really trade Pinto or they shouldn't trade him before, or sorry, sign him before they make a trade because then they lose all leverage and they're going to have to move a lot with like a Joseph to get rid of him. Um, but again, like they should be making a trade here soon. And then there's another point that was kind of interesting by uh, Ben D, which is uh, if I was Pinto, I would wait to see if Norris plays. Then he has leverage because Norris, obviously, the injury thing is kind of interesting. Then he says, might be why the Sens keep saying Norris is healthy, which is kind of an, an interesting little like theory here that we have going. Like Norris, obviously, we're going to talk about him a little bit. That'd be so scummy, he man. Was, so they well. said he was going to miss the first two preseason games. That was their plan. Then he would play. He was wearing non-contact. Then they took the non-contact off. Everybody got excited. They said he was probably going to suit up in the third game. Then they were like, no, maybe not yet. Fourth game, no, maybe not yet. Fifth game, and then sixth game. Like, it just keeps going. And now there's only two games left, and Norris still has not played. So it, it would be scummy for sure. But it's kind of an interesting theory. Like, maybe they're making him seem a little more healthy than he is so that Pinto is is not gaining too much leverage here. I mean, hopefully that's not the case because, like, we shouldn't be seeing that from an organization who says that they value their players like they do. That's kind of the whole mantra here. So, um, a theory, but we're, we're going to leave that a theory for now. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Norris, obviously, like, I don't know what his health is at, but he needs to play. I mean, if he does not play a preseason game, I'm going to be absolutely, like, terrified because, I mean, he was supposed to be fully healthy. Like, they said he's fully healthy, and they were being just cautious. They said the words, we are being cautious with Norris to start the preseason and that he's going to get into games. He still hasn't. So it's like, where is his health really at? And is the organization kind of downplaying this to kind of make fans feel a little more confident, a little more comfortable, maybe the Pinto thing, whatever. 
to me, like Norris is arguably like, uh, I mean, we've said it, but he's an X factor. He's a, a key piece at the core, especially with that contract, right? He's making like 8 million bucks a year for several more years. Uh, you need him to play. And if his shoulder is still not healthy, like he's had what three severe injuries to that shoulder. Now I am awfully nervous and I'm going to be nervous anyway, because this has just been delay, 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 and delays are never good. And, and so I get being cautious, but like if he was fully healthy, I would have thought he'd be in by now. So not going to be too negative about that because maybe they are just being super cautious with him and don't want to risk it in the preseason. But I do feel like they're downplaying it a little bit based on the delays. Like that just doesn't really happen. You don't say he's going to miss two games and then he misses like six. That's just not what happens. So uh, we'll see. But yeah, do you have anything on Norris? Yeah, I mean, look, like I said it earlier and when we were talking about injuries and getting worried about them in preseason, if if he's going to get hurt in a preseason game, it was like, and it's because of the shoulder, it's going to happen in the first game of the regular season anyway. I don't buy the... Um, oh, he could play. Remember when, when camp opened, they said if the season started tomorrow, he'd play. But we're going to hold him out of preseason. I don't buy that at all. Why? Like, what's the point? The point of preseason is to get contact, feel good, get a feel for the puck. We talked about it in the Winnipeg game on Wednesday. It looked like they were fighting the puck. Like, they didn't really know. Or was that Friday or whatever it was? Wednesday, Friday. Friday. Um, yeah, on Friday night when they were fighting the puck, whatever it was. That's what that's what preseason's for. And then last night in, in Halifax, they looked fantastic, the top guys, for what I from what I caught, right? And um, like that, that to me is what preseason's for. It's for figuring all that out. And I get not wanting to injure him. He's a huge piece of the team, whatever it is. But if you're worried about injuring him in preseason, what's, what's the difference between October 11th and Carolina? I guess it's another week or two, like two weeks, but like, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's actually one week away. We got eight days until the start of the regular season, which is exciting by the way. Um, but what, yeah, it'll heal up a little bit more, but I, I don't know. And I, I know I saw in the chat there like that we're just going to be nervous for him all season. Of course we are. Of course we are. Like it, that was going to happen regardless. I'd be, I'm nervous watching Corpus Allo last night get bumped into a couple times. I know you pointed that out. Shabbat looked great. He did last night. I thought he was one of their best players, to be honest. Um, you got to stop bumping the players into your prize goaltender there. Uh, let's use that sweet transition I just bought up there for the goaltending. Um, huge topic, the X factor. There's a lot of X factors. This is the X factor. They want a sniff of the playoffs and a sniff in the playoffs and all goaltending needs to be solid. They need to be better than they've been. Um, back-to-back games, Forsberg, Corpus Allo showed why this can be a special tandem. Why don't you talk about, uh, you talk about one of them. I'll talk about the other guy, because I think they both look fantastic. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about Corpus Allo last night. Like he obviously came in with a 40 save shutout and his first game against Montreal, he looked a little shaky. I mean, he let in four goals. Uh, the game winner, Cole Caulfield, obviously a sniper, but like it was not a very good goal. He kind of just let it squeak through on that one. Uh, and he even said afterwards it was not a very good goal. So people were kind of nervous. I mean, people love to overreact in the preseason, ourselves included, like everybody does. It's just a natural human being tendency to overreact to, to one game in the preseason. But yeah, Corpus Salo came in, right? He's on a five-year, $20 million contract. Um and in that game against Montreal, he just he didn't really look that good. And people got nervous because Forsberg and Sogard had set the bar so high against Toronto. Then last night, Corpusello comes in and he basically tells everybody, like, listen, I know we all love Anton Forsberg, but like I'm the guy here. That that's what he said last night. Like he's playing Sidney Crosby. Evgeny Malkin, like a full Crystal Tang, Eric Carlson, a full Penguins lineup, all of their scoring threats in. Like they had, they six had like power everybody. plays, man. Man, and the power plays were what six to nothing. Like it was egregious. Let me just mention that Eric Carlson, Tim Stutzla trip. That was one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life. But Ref, anyway, Ref is a Sharks fan. Ref oh, that was crazy. Sure. Yeah, but um, 
Corpusello obviously six power plays and then just 40 shots. I mean, it's a preseason game. Most goalies don't even play a full game in the preseason. They usually rotate. Corpusello got the 40 shots, and I love their decision. I've been critical of the coaching staff, but I love the decision to play the goalies for the full 60 minutes in all of their preseason games. I think that's great. That is how you kind of set them up, get them in the field. It's not just about like taking shots. It's about actually being in the game situations where they know that the entire game relies on them. They can't just bank on somebody else coming in and stealing it. They have to be in the zone, and I think that that's awesome to kind of replicate a regular season feeling, especially when you're playing Sidney Crosby and, and the whole Penguins gang. So um, I think Corp Salo, like I posted a few clips, if you go on my Twitter, uh, especially early in the game, he made a few really nice glove saves. His mechanics are like clean. Like I never really watched him play. I watched clips and stuff, but I didn't really like evaluate his game. He is like really fun to watch in the net. He's athletic, but if you watch the way he gets his glove and blocker out in front of him, like after watching Matt Murray for a couple of years, it is so refreshing because he's got like his positioning, man. He really like he takes up a lot of the net and he gets the glove and blocker out. And if you watch him, he makes a lot of glove saves and a lot of blocker saves. And it's just, it's nice to see. And it, it just like provides confidence in a way. Forsberg's the same type of way, but I almost feel like Corpusalo, if you just watch him specifically, his mechanics are, are extremely smooth. And, and I'm excited to see him play this year because he really did steal that game for them last night. I think Ottawa played well as a whole. I thought their top guys outplayed Pittsburgh. But again, anytime you're dealing with six power plays to none, like you should be expected to lose that game. That's completely ridiculous. Um, and Corpus Allo just stole it. Like he was so, so good on the penalty kill. Uh, I've got some stats too, so I can just run through. I know you like Forsberg, so I left him for you to, to talk about a little bit because him coming back from injury is so big. Uh, and really like Corpus Allo, I listened to the post-game presser. Uh, he was kind of asked about like tandem. And, and the big thing is that this is not like a, a butting heads competition. These guys are really good friends, Forsberg and Corpus Allo, and they're pushing each other. And they are going to form a really, really good tandem. So in the preseason, obviously, Corpusella with two games, uh, 9-3-4 save percentage, including a shutout, four goals against, um, 57 total saves. Forsberg in two games, 69 total saves, 9-4-5 save percentage, four goals against, 2-0, Corpusella is 1-1. So it's just, I don't know, this tandem to me provides a lot of confidence. I think the preseason has really like just boosted that even further. I think that I feel... uh, that's probably my biggest takeaway, honestly, through six preseason games is that I feel really, really confident about Ottawa's goaltending tandem more so than I ever have since that Anderson Condon duo, who was uh prime days of, of Anderson. And just like, I don't know, man, I feel really good about this duo. And I think that Corpusello, after a shaky first game against Montreal, really showed why he's worth $20 million last night. Yeah, the athletic uh comment you made like the athleticism he's gotten net and i i like how you mentioned matt murray because obviously the white paths just bring me right back to matt murray days um but it's crazy he just looks like a, a different kind of goalie like he almost he, he plays i don't i'm not a goalie expert but like he kind of looks like he plays small but he's so quick and and i think having quickness as a goalie is massive um i've got a one of my friends is a penguin penguins fan and at free agency the first day of free agency when the Sen signed Corpusalo and then the, the Penguins signed Jari. Um, we were both going back and forth. Obviously, the Penguins gave Jari like 1.6 million more per season. So I was immediately like, those are the two big fish. We talked about them before um, the signings happened. And I was like, you know, talking about both. And, and immediately I was just like, the Sens got the better goalie and the better contract. Like it's not even up for debate. Um, and obviously it's preseason, doesn't really matter. But like Corpusalo stole the show. He's the best player on the ice last night. Like, they don't even need that from him this year. <laughs> like I know the Sens played well and they did. Um, and, and I think the, the shot count was indicative of the power plays less so than the play. Uh, I thought in the second period, especially the Sens just came to play. Um, 
But again, like we we talked about it again. I think we talked about it with Ian Mendez. Like like they're gonna have games where they get outshot forty to twenty and they win three nothing like last night. And then they're gonna have games where they outshoot the opponent forty to twenty and their goalie can't really like isn't having a great game. The great teams find a way to get past either one of those. So the fact that the Sens pulled out a win yesterday, got three, two goals, empty netter. That's a pro team win. I know it's preseason. We're not getting excited, but I, I, I really feel like a different feel around the team. And I wanted to get into all this, like with the goaltending talk, because it, it factors into it, but like all this stuff with Pinto and Norris aside, the team looks great. Like Brady Kachuk looks awesome. He looks faster. Tim Stutzel is just growing. Claude Giroux hasn't lost a step. Drake Batherson looks like the most impressive forward on the team, which is really exciting because at a, phenomenal. Point, at a point he was, man. He was the all-star of this team a few years ago. Then Aaron Dell had to ruin everything. Like when Batherson's back to what he can be, he's arguably one of the best contracts in the league. Point per game player. Like I'm so excited to watch him just, just get by the way, six, six points in the preseason four preseason games ranks third in the NHL. Like again, it's preseason with an asterisk always like, like normal. But uh, as we move forward, I think that game and then the, ne the next two are going to be very, very heavy NHL lineups um, for every team playing. So this is basically like a tune up and the Sens came to play. If they have this mentality for preseason, I cannot wait for the home opener weekend. That first one in Carolina is going to mean a lot. I think it really is because last year I remember they started in Buffalo. It was a, you know, a tight game. It was two, one, two empty netters. They lose four, one go to Toronto, lose a last minute regulation, three, two loss in regulation. Like they were Oh, and two. And then they go on a bit of a run at home. Like they started okay last year. They really did, but I think they let it get to their heads. So the interesting thing will be at the end of October when they're about to go to Sweden. Um, we'll, we'll reevaluate then, but man, I just love everything that they're doing right now. The defense looks incredible. Shabbat looks brand new and like looking like a great player again. Um, Chikrin's a beast. Sanderson and Zub is going to be a lot of fun to watch. We already pumped Eric Branstrom's tires. Like there is a lot to love about the way this team looks. And even with that center depth, without Norris and without Pinto, with that hole there, if the goaltending is like this, I, I love this team against anyone in the league. I really do. And I, I, I know we're a sense podcast, but I truly believe that I think with health, um, permitting to goaltending and the defense, not even the forwards. I think the forwards have enough depth D and goalies stay healthy. I think this is a playoff team based on what we've seen. They've been dominant. They have in games where they don't have their NHL lineup and in games when they do, they've looked great in both. Yeah. And, and like, I know last night was a preseason, but I, one of my draws from that game was that, and again, it's the preseason. I'm going to emphasize it, but was that Ottawa's top guys looked really good against Pittsburgh's top guys. And I know Pittsburgh's getting older, but the, the biggest play was Tim Stutzla on the empty net. And that was Tim just literally outworking Evgeny Malkin. He, he came from behind Malkin, outskated them, was stronger on his stick. Malkin breaks his stick on Tim like a, a brick wall, and he just goes in and puts it into the empty net. And it just felt like the dagger. And this is in Crosby's hometown in front of his home crowd. The crowd's all cheering for Sid, and they literally shut him out. The top guys dominate. Like, it, it just... To me, I feel like, and it's preseason, yes, but I feel like we're going to say that a lot throughout this season. And that's something that I think other fan bases rightfully look past is that Ottawa's core is going to take another step. And again, we have to see it first. But like, I just feel like watching them, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if 
Kachuk, Stutzla, like Batherson, all these guys kind of take a step forward again in their development. And then we're, we're talking about them at the end of the year in the same breath as like a lot of the other, like if you look at New Jersey and their top guys, I think you could easily compare Ottawa to that group by the end of the year. And again, it's a big kind of ask because New Jersey took a massive step, but I think that it, it's plausible that the Sens could be competing with every single team in their, their course. Like I'm not surprised even Toronto, Austin Matthews might be the best player, but I think that Ottawa has so much depth in their core like their top four is so good on defense, right? Like I think Chikrin and Shabbat are going to be so impactful. Sanderson too. And then you look at their four group, the top six is so like the, the two lines are so good that I feel like they can compete with almost any team in the league and, and really any team in the league. There's not a, a team I can think of that I feel like Ottawa cannot keep up with, even if they don't have the absolute best player. We went through and compared their rosters there earlier in the summer. And usually how it went was the other team had one really good star player at the top, like a Pasternak or somebody like that. And then Ottawa had like the next three guys and then it was back to the other team. So, you know, quantity, quality, whatever it is, I still think that Ottawa is just, they're going to be able to compete with anybody, especially if Batherson can sustain this. I know there was a comment in the chat kind of pointing his play. We should mention it just because he's been so ridiculously good. The skating, like the skill, all of it. Uh, he's looked good with every single line mate. Like obviously he got to play with Yarventi a little bit. Kubalik and him have had some really good chemistry, which is interesting too, because Kubalik could play off the lineup. Maybe Tarasenko goes to the third line at some point. Who knows? A lot of combinations to try out, but Batherson's definitely been the MVP of camp. In my opinion, he's just been like his, his emergence has been so important to the team. And I think that if you can get back to 90% or 80% of what he was two years ago, where he's, you know, he's a good two-way player. He's not costing them in the, the defensive zone, but he's also producing a lot of points. Like, yeah, he was point per game and, until Aaron Dell injured him and he was leading the Sens. He was the consensus number one player on the team. Like, everybody thought he was playing better than 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 Brady, than Tim, everybody. So hopefully he can get back to that point. Um, but yeah, like, like that's kind of that's kind of it for me. I mean, on, on this conversation, like, I think that uh, that this preseason has been as good as it can be. They lost one game so far and two games left. I think that Ottawa's set up for pretty much the best success that they could have asked for uh, through six games. Yeah, expectations were high, and they're delivering in preseason so far. I think that's the best way to put it. Uh, I was trying to put my finger on it when I was kind of talking about like the um, the core and like how good they look and everything. I, I really think it's this. It's it's the, they have this like for a long time under DJ Smith, especially in the last four years, they've had this. You know, we're gonna play hard, and it's not gonna be an easy out. And you ask any team when the Sens were really bad, you know, in that first year with DJ when we were tanking, and then the the COVID year, like any team that played them said that they're not an easy game. I think that's kind of the, the mentality people had about the Sens. I remember Matthew Kachuk talking on spit and chicklets about, um, about them at that time being like, they've got, when they get more skill, they're going to be a scary team. Well, fast forward to now they have more skill and they still have that FU mentality. I think that's the biggest difference between a lot of, I don't want, I don't want to say pretenders, but like, and I, I don't know if you've watched the show, uh, Shorzy, it's like a, spin-off of letter kenny and i didn't even watch letter kenny but shores is just it's a comedy hockey show it's awesome by the way if anyone wants to check it out but a big theme in that is the shoresy guy it's like a bit he says like we i hate to lose he doesn't hate he doesn't love to win he hates to lose and i really get that mentality from the sense core and i think that's Giroux coming in and you know feeding off of these guys i think it's um stutzel i think that's just an inherently who he is brady kachuk's obviously got that like it's that you know, we're going to play so hard and we now have the skill to back it up as we get older and we have to get more pieces, but they don't, they hate losing. And last night's a perfect example, man. Like you think about the, the hoopla around Sidney Crosby. It was a huge deal. Obviously him going back to Halifax tickets were like $700 on resale last night. Like it was a hot ticket item. All the stars on every team was playing pretty much. 
Um, and, and yeah, it's Batherson, same kind of situation, but it was the Crosby show. Last night was, was supposed to be the Sydney Crosby show and the Sens came and, and came to play and spoiled the party. And to me, like you mentioned with the Stutzel and the Malkin thing, like uh, Kachuk and Malkin were going at it earlier in the game. Like they, they just, in Kachuk's throwing hits, like laying people out, like it's the, the playoffs. Like they just have this mentality. I think at least right now, as it stands right now on October 3rd, this FU mentality of we're not going to lose. And I love that out of them. I think they missed it in years past. I think when they go on those slides, they miss that. They get frustrated and flustered, but if they've got the killer instinct, I'm, I'm like the swagger and everything like that. It, it's going to be a fun year, man. If they can just bottle that up into whoever's in the lineup, trickle it down to the young guys, Ridley Greg again, like I love that guy. We didn't talk about his goal. He's been great. This camp, um, earned a spot somewhere in the lineup, no doubt in my mind. So I'm really fired up. I really am. I, I, I can't wait for eight days, like until the season starts. I'm getting sick of preseason. Um, you got anything else here for our loyal uh, listeners here? Again, another live stream over an hour. I love doing this, man. It's the midday uh, live streams are really hitting different. Yeah, I mean, I think we want to keep doing live streams too uh, a little bit more just because I know uh, people have been asking for the the midday broadcasts now with with some changes over at TSN and it's kind of just some, you know, there's less less going on now. So I think we can keep doing this, you know, and whenever we've got time, we'll, we'll plan around it. Just keep looking for updates. But uh, otherwise, yeah, I mean, your point is great. And I think that's what we talked about with Ottawa is with this core specifically is that they're so competitive, right? They have that competitive killer instinct, like you said. And I know there's some, there's some discussion in the chat here, but Toronto, likely winning the Atlantic I would favor them as well but again Toronto is a great example of a team who in the playoffs anyway has like failed to prove that they have that killer instinct right it's been how many years six seven years now that Toronto's just failed to, to do anything and we love to hate on Toronto but I'm, I'm being serious I'm not even mocking them I'm just saying I see Ottawa as a team who when they make the playoffs they're gonna make some noise because they have that drive like you look at their players and you look at the the team mentality they have and you can just sense it you can sense that they're going to be able to take on any opponent and they feel like they can't like it's a confidence thing. They broke down last year and then Brady admitted that, that they broke down from a confidence perspective a little bit when they started to lose games when it mattered most. I don't know. There's something different this year, the way that they've been talking, the way they've been playing in the preseason, they still have to prove it. Everybody around the league is in their, you know, their, their right to question Ottawa and to not really believe that they're going to do it until they actually do. Um, but at the same time, I just feel like based on what we've seen and heard from these guys, it seems like the maturity is setting in with some of these younger players like Brady. When he talks, you can just you get the sense of like almost these chills, like, you know, that the, that he believes in this team and he like it's not fake. It's not just like uh, word of mouth, like he's being serious in the sense that like he's confident the whole team is confident they believe in themselves and they feel like they can take any opponent and like i said i think last night against Sidney crosby in his hometown preseason but like you know crosby was playing his heart out last night like he was playing in front of a sold out crowd the building was electric this is why both teams were playing their almost their starting lineups is because this building was sold out and and crosby especially like he was playing for a lot there like it's not just preseason to him in that sense that's where he grew up he played in that ring growing up in front of like a, a ton of fans wearing his jersey right to get shut out i'm sure he left that with his heart you know in his stomach like i'm sure he was pretty upset about that and ottawa doesn't care that's the thing is ottawa does not care about these storylines they care about winning preseason or not ottawa cares about winning six power plays for pittsburgh shut out like the sends don't give a damn about your storylines and your narratives they are here to win, and that's it. That's my takeaway. That's the whole thing to watch this season. And I'm going to remember what Tim said like for the entire year, which is that it's preseason. 
we get that but preseason regular season who cares like we're here to win all we care about is winning that's how he put it and that just kind of defines Ottawa's season is forget about the storylines and the, the extra stuff that's going on in the background all the background noise just worry about winning every single night that's it and I think Carolina on the 11th that's a great test they face Philly after that that should be a bit of an easier game quote unquote but Carolina isn't a great test because it's in Carolina too. Uh, and they've obviously been one of the best teams over the last few years. And so it's going to be kind of a, a prove it moment. Like if they go into that game and they win in Carolina's burn to open the year, that is the ultimate prove it. Get a good game at a Corpus Allo if he starts or Forsberg uh, and, and then go from there. Right. So I think that's a great test to, to start up. But yeah, other than that, just keep looking out on the Twitter and the Instagram. We're going to be announcing the, the pods when they're coming out. Probably aim for, we haven't even decided yet, but probably like Friday this week, we'll see. Uh, and then we're going to keep trying to do live streams. So thanks for tuning in, guys. It, uh, it means a lot. And thanks to Eric for those super chats early as well. Yeah, we appreciate it a lot. And again, use code SENS20 at manscaped.com and just get all the fixings you need there. You can actually use it on any item you want. I don't think I actually mentioned that in the the uh, ad read there but one more thing i know you mentioned like like uh live you know like uh, and thank you pamela we really appreciate that you uh it again like it goes a long way we really do appreciate it it's like a we i love doing this man but just stuff like that just actually like makes your day kind of thing right so really appreciate that from pamela um one thing though from uh uh like a league-wide respect perspective i'll, I'll say um nhl discussion on instagram very unanimously anti sends. I think they're the release fans who run it. And every time send stuff comes up, the language they use personally to me just feels like they don't like them. They have them 14th ranked 14th in the league. I think as a playoff team, I believe, um, I mean, that's respect. That's that's, I mean, they had them last year, I think at like 20, 21, and that's kind of where they finished. So like 14, like they, they know what they're talking about over there. It's, it's a league wide review and look at the league. Um, and also when Andre Vasilevsky went down, we didn't talk about that. We can talk about when we talk about the lightning in that, that op uh, home opener weekend, like the lightning playoff percentages went down with Vasilevsky's injury and the Sens, I think the athletic had them going up by 5% maybe, um, to like 96 points, something like that. Like they're, they're projected to be a playoff team. Like by, I think 96 points was the cutoff last year. Maybe it was 98, but like they're, they're there. They're right there. And now they just got to go prove it. They got to prove that they're worth the hype. This is the most hype this core has had in a long time. Um, or sorry, this core in general has had ever uh, team wise in a long time. Since I can remember, I don't even think any of those years with Carlson, they were this kind of highly regarded, which sounds crazy to say, but um, that's going to wrap it up for us. I think that's uh, another great live stream. We thank everyone for joining the chat. And again, we, uh, we love interacting with everyone's thoughts. There's a lot to talk about with the Ottawa Senators now every single day. So we appreciate the subscription. Subscribe to the YouTube page as well. If you're not sure when we're going live, every time we schedule one, you'll get a little notification when you're subscribed. Just makes you makes it easier for you to come join us midday if we can. We'd like to do these a lot more often throughout the year. So again, thank you everyone. And we will see everyone next time on the Everyday Sends podcast.